I'm an entrepreneur, but I need a job. Really? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, welcome in. We're going to be taking care of business. Golly, this is a cool time of year just to be reflecting back planning for the future. You know, I don't know how many of you are going to be listening to this. We're going right into the holidays. You're probably busy with other things, but you know what? I'm going to keep cranking out these podcasts. I, last week, as I mentioned, was the 10-year anniversary of me doing the podcast every single week. Never missed a week. Never did a replay. Well, it's because I enjoy it. I mean, I, I hope you do as well. And from your feedback, it appears that's to be the case, but I'm going to continue doing them. I'll have some short ones the next couple of weeks, at least, even if they aren't full length feature ones, we'll have just keep going because you all keep asking questions that are so fun to respond to. Well, that's going to be true this week as well. Questions like, which book should I read first? Now, in today's episode, I'm going to talk a lot about books. You might want to grab a pen and paper, jot down some of the titles, depending on what your needs are, because I got a lot of books that I'm going to reference based on some questions people are asking. Dan, I'm having difficulty understanding how to create my own website. What should I do? Gary V says you need to be on every social platform. How can I keep up? Hi, Dan. Do you have any recommendations for day job ideas for people who are entrepreneurial and don't like being stuck at a desk? I've always dreamed about being a real estate investor. I put together six real estate transactions, but got worried about not having a steady paycheck, went back to finance. Dan, I feel like because I'm truly meant to be an entrepreneur, it's hard to get a good job. Maybe it's the energy I give off. Do you find that to be true? Well, you could hear those are going to be fun to unpack together. Probably something in there that already touched a nerve with you. Here's our quotation for today. It comes from Epictetus, who said, How long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? I kind of like that. You know, it's not selfish or egotistical. It's just... Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you settle for anything else? So how long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? Now, Epictetus is one of those guys that was born over 2,000 years ago. He was born as a slave into a wealthy household. And then his owner gave him permission to pursue studies. And so he studied philosophy and then ultimately was given his freedom. And so he he actually founded a philosophy school and taught there in Greece. But he's one of the what we call the Stoics. But a lot of wisdom from some of those old guys back there. I enjoy reading them. Well, on our, on our Monday Mentor Call in the Eagles community this week, we had as, a, as our title, How to Be Fat in 2020. And it really, I had my good buddy Alan Thomas on there, active member in the 48 Days community for years now actually got one of the old original three-ring binders of 48 days over 20 years ago when it first came out, and we've been connected ever since. So he's gone on to do a lot of things, but now he's helping 
men specifically, his wife Angie's helping women, but they're helping people and get on top of the weight issue by approaching it in a very different way than typically you would expect. So we talked about how to be fat in 2020. And it kind of relates to what I want to share with you about how to get started in the new year. But Alan said, if you want to be fat, say you want to lose weight, weigh infrequently. Now that means not very often. He likes people to weigh every single day. Um, another way to make sure you're fat in 20, just reduce your eating, do it all alone. Now he went through some of those things and talked about why mindset is more important than the food you put in your mouth. And you can choose, he encourages you to choose any diet you want. Get the top 20 recommended plans out there. Close your eyes and pick one. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It, mindset is the important ingredient. Now, the key is, and I'm not going to go back through all the material we talked about there. If you, you can listen to that Monday Mentor call, but it has to do with how we set New Year's resolutions or goals. You know, I'm a big believer in goals. We have the goal setting worksheet for you. If you go to 48days.com slash goals, you can still get that, map that out. But it's really a matter of building better habits. That's what will change your life. Not just trying to deprive yourself or force yourself, build in better habits. And there's a lot of ways to do that. When it comes to goals, there's another thing some of you have been asking me about, you know, this idea, gal, you have big goals and you share with people and they laugh at you or say, you can't do that. It's never been done. Well, be careful. Here's how this works for me. I don't share my goals with just anyone. I don't share them with people who are content with mediocrity or people who are living lives of what I call comfortable misery. I don't share my goals with those people. I share my goals with people who are on the same path as I, people who are believing in big dreams and really confident they can bring them into reality. Those are the people I also share my goals with because you know what? They're going to be my biggest cheerleaders. So be selective in terms of who you share with. Now, I encourage you to do that. I think there is that kind of instant accountability. When you share it, then people are going to ask you, you know, six months from now, hey, did you really do that that you talked about? So there's that kind of feature that prompts us to really want to achieve it. So there's merit in sharing it, but be selective with in who you share those with. Well, so along that line, our resource for today, if you go to 48dayseagles.com slash motivation, you're going to get 10 tips to help you stay motivated to live out your dreams. So 48dayseagles.com slash motivation, free resource there. You're going to see things from me and also people in the 40 Days community, people like Marianne Renner, Jesse Cole, my wife, Joanne, my son, Jared, other people in there. But you'll see things like, as soon as you take responsibility for your problem, you also recognize your ability to create the solution. All right, let's go in. we got a couple good news things here. Some interesting tips I want to share with you. Then we'll go right into these uh, flood of questions that we've got to cover. Well, here's a dying 86-year-old 
bought 14 years worth of Christmas gifts for his two-year-old neighbor. I actually shared this last year. It came from last year, but I just thought it was a cool Christmas kind of story. I wanted to share it again. So Ken Watson passed away in October of last year, but a simple act of kindness that he performed before he died has already resulted in a lasting legacy. Ken Watson was the 86-year-old neighbor of the Williams family. Now, this happened over in Wales. So Owen Williams and his family first moved into their home three years ago. Owen said he first caught a glimpse of Watson, who at that point was already over 80, when he was um, climbing up a ladder in his house. Anyway, they became friends as neighbors, and that friendship was strengthened when the Williams gave birth to a little girl named Katie. So Watson became a grandfather figure to this little girl, and every Christmas he made sure to get her a gift. After he died a couple months ago, the Williams family was stunned when his daughter showed up to their house with a massive plastic bag. Inside the bag was 14 years worth of wrapped gifts that Watson had purchased for Katie. Now, the reason they they think he chose 14 is because he always told them he was going to live to be a hundred years old and he actually died at 86. So he accounted for the other 14 years that he wasn't really here by getting her gifts for the next 14 years. Well, they did a fun kind of thing and put it in on Facebook. They got a lot of feedback, you know, with 14 wrapped gifts, not identified by year, you know, a little girl who is, um, well, I think she's four years old, you know, is going to change a lot. Her, her, desires, her wants are going to change a lot over the next 14 years. They've decided they aren't going to open them all and then put, give her an age appropriate gift. They're just going to randomly choose for the next 14 years. Anyway, just a fun kind of thing to, to share with you there. Now, there are a couple other things that I wanted to run by you here that are of interest. What do you get a preschooler who has everything. Speaking of Christmas gifts, well, how about a $400 Mercedes convertible? This is really interesting. I mean, we see big brands that are doing everything possible to promote their brand. So automakers have really moved into this space of having little model, not only model cars, but the little kind of cars that kids can ride in. So there is a $400 Mercedes convertible. Uh, the market for mini cars is worth about $625 million a year. Now, not a whole lot of that goes back to the brand. So Mercedes may get like $10 in licensing royalty for that car, but they're building the brand awareness. And they just figure that if a little kid rides around in a Mercedes convertible, you know, when they're three years old, guess what? They've already planted the seed that when they really are able to have a car of their own, they're going to want a Mercedes. Well, interesting how companies are promoting their brands in that way. Here's another interesting note. Millennials aren't buying lottery tickets. Every year, this is pretty astounding, every year around 49% of the U.S. adult population buys a lottery ticket. I can't believe it's that high. Frankly, I think it's a pretty immature kind of thing to do, but that's another story. So, but you know what? It's skewed heavily toward the older population. Millennials don't buy lottery tickets and they're trying to figure that out. I mean, obviously the people promoting the lottery want that to continue and you want younger generations coming up to be the biggest buyer. Well, that's not happening. Millennials are saying, are you kidding me? Well, 
there's some reasons for that. Young people prefer digital games um, and, and instant gratification. Isn't that interesting? Because with the lottery tickets, you buy it and it may be some time. I don't know how that works, but uh, apparently it's some time can pass before you really know if you win. Whereas young people want instant gratification. They've grown up with that as their kind of common theme. And so they don't buy lottery tickets because they want instant gratification. So they play digital games. Young people, it says, are more risk averse than their older peers. And that's interesting to, uh, to really understand that. Hmm. More risk averse. Young people value experiences over prizes. And then, of course, there's a healthy dose of youthful realism. Um, I feel like everything's just too expensive nowadays to just throw, kind of throw away your money or unlock. A 21-year-old said, well, isn't that interesting? And really, probably some wisdom there. We can learn from the millennials in that regard. They don't buy lottery tickets. All right, let's go into, well, let's go right into some questions. I'm going to just jump right into the questions. Carrie says, hi, everyone at 48 Days. Um, Quick question about Dan's reading list. Which book should I read first? Now, he also had in there, thank you for the free materials you've already sent. Everybody who becomes an Eagles member gets a package from me. It has a copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love and the Rudder of the Day in there and a handwritten card from me. It's just something we do to surprise people as they become new members of 48 Days Eagles. So he's asking, but he's also referencing the list that I have, the reading list that I have, which has about 45 books on there. I suppose I ought to make it 48. I'll make, look at that, I increase the number a little bit, but I, I keep it at about 40 or 50 books. So there's a lot of resources out there. So in answer to your question, Carrie, in light of the two books that you have, and then I'm going to expand the, the answer a little bit. In light of the two books you have, 48 Days to the Work You Love and Rudder of the Day, they're very different. 48 Days to the Work You Love obviously has the real core principles, how to identify your talents, your passions, your dreams, your skills, your zone of genius, then how to to then apply that in work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. So that's a very, very core message and core process. Rudder of the day is just a light reading. I mean, that's the kind of thing you, I mean, people keep it in their bathroom where you can just open it in three minutes, you know, read one of the pieces and open it the next day to an entirely different place. And again, read one of the synopsis, one of the short little segments in there. So it's a very different kind of book. Now, the the books that I recommend continuously, and I've got those five core books, and if you're looking for gifts for a teenager, this is a great way to get them their own little library. I do recommend they have their own books, not just books out of the library. Reading a book out of the library is different than if you own it. It's yours. It's on your shelf. I mean, I have books that I've had for years and years and years that are very, very valuable to me because of how they affected my life. And if I had just read it and returned it to the library, there'd be a different sense of connection with that message. So those books are How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, See You at the Top, Zig Ziglar, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz, and Acres of Diamonds, Russell Conwell. So those are the five primary books that I recommend that every teenager reads. I mean, before they go to college, before they start making career decisions, those 
five books will frame them personally so they can make better decisions in anything that they're doing. Um, so David asked, here's another question about that. David asked after seeing your post from the day, and I'll tell you what that was here in a second about the four books you read after the business assessment. How do you determine which books to go with? And David says, I tend to just read and then not implement. Well, David, I have slowed down my reading list this year for exactly that same reason. I have had for years and years, I mean, for 15, 20 years, I've kept track of the books that I've read. And I always read at least 60 books a year. Now, you know, I usually have as a goal 36. So that's my minimum. But I, I, I don't think there's been a year in the last 15 years where I haven't read at least 60 books. So a little more than one a week. Here's what I found, though. I found that I was reading books just to put it on my list. I mean, how stupid is that? So if I got to June and realized I'd only read 20 books, I'd read five books just so I could add them to my list. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. So I, this year, for the first year in all those years, have not kept track of books I've read at all. I got away from making the list so I wouldn't feel the pressure to be adding them to my list. And I went back and said, I'm going to select four or five books that I've read before, but had a profound impact on me. And I'm going to go deeper in those. And so I've done that with books like Essentialism by Greg McCowan, um, Sabbath by Wayne Mueller. And then of course there are new ones I'm reading as well. Stillness is a key by Ryan Holiday, just finished that, just read Atomic Habits, James Clear. But I, I'm not pressuring myself just to have a long list. So I haven't kept track. And I really don't know if I've read you know, 20 or 30 books or whatever it is. But I know I haven't read as many because I really have slowed down and gone deeper. But I've totally removed this pressure of feeling like I have to have a list. So... I, I encourage you, yeah, don't just try to read more necessarily, but go deeper in what you read. You know, when you really want to understand a particular concept, you know, just go deep. I mean, follow the references that the author gives. Learn about the author himself. The author may have a blog, may have an on-site community or something. So go deep in a particular topic rather than just skimming a lot of and then not implementing. Not implementing doesn't change your life because, you know, we have to move past just the surface reading. We have to move into, I mean, that I talk about that a lot. Knowledge doesn't change your life. Knowledge doesn't change your bank account. It's only when you move to understanding and implementation that it will change your life and your bank account. So you want to do that. All right, got a question here. It says, Dan, do you have a best book recommendation other than 48 days for someone trying to start a new business and is struggling to validate a business idea? Yes, I do. I would recommend Pat Flynn's book, Will It Fly? Now, again, I'm given, you know, I, I have always known that books are my greatest source of new wisdom, understanding, opportunity. They open the door to things that otherwise I would never have experienced, you know, as a poor farm kid growing up. Books were my door to a bigger world and remain so today. So I've got a lot of references here. Now, yesterday in the 48 Days Eagles community, I put up a note about four books that really shaped the business I have today. I met with 
a marketing analysis company about uh, about five years ago. And they did an analysis of my business, 48 days. And they said, oh my gosh, you know, you got amazing margins, all these revenue sources and everything. Here's the problem. It's too dependent on one person, that being Dan Miller. That's too dependent on you. You know, if, if something happens to you or if you're just out of commission for a while, you know, it's too dependent on you. So I read four books that really changed the scope of my business dramatically. Those being, and again, these are just, uh, if you're in that place, here's, well, that's a, that's a typical entrepreneur's dilemma that I just described, where you're making good money, but it's so dependent on you. You may create linear income in that you've essentially just created a job for yourself. So even if you're an attorney, a physician, a dentist, somebody like that, they're entrepreneurs, but they just get paid for their time. What I wanted to do was create a business that had residual income where there were systems in place so that money would be created even if I was sitting on the beach with Joanne somewhere. So these are the books that I read, four books. Number one, Profit First. That was one. I'll give you the, the you know, I'll put, I'll put a note of these in, in the show notes so you can look them up if you want to. But anyway, Profit First, Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you. Number three, walk away wealthy. Number four, the automatic customer. Anyway, those were some books and those are books. We've gotten a lot of feedback on that. People really jumped on that. Uh, It wasn't really that I was recommending all those. I was just sharing the fact that those helped me shape the business that I have today. But a lot of people have responded to that. And if you're an entrepreneur and feel stuck in that same kind of quandary where it's too dependent on you personally, uh, those may be some books that can help you. Incidentally, in the Eagles community, we have a lot of open conversations. Um, We have office hours every Tuesday night from seven to eight. So this week was my turn to be on there. I love that time. It's so delightful. People just hammer questions in. There's a lot of interaction between members in that period of time, but I get to engage with people and conversations in there. And incidentally, as I talk about the Eagles, I mean, this, I want to let you know, the doors are open. There's no waiting. This is not some kind of a, I don't know. I I get kind of impatient with some of these things that I see where, you know, it's closed for six months and then blah, 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 blah. Okay. The doors are open for 36 hours. You gotta, I know it's a marketing tool to do that. And I know that it works, but it just doesn't set well with me. I mean, you may be currently happy with what you're doing and a week from now, or let's say that on January 1st, you get a notice that you're no longer needed at your job. Well, your time for needing the information in the Eagles community is then. I'm not going to tell you, well, I'm sorry, the doors are closed. If you wait three months, then we'll let you in. No, I know that people's needs and desires change daily. So the doors are open all the time. There's no waiting. There's no baiting you until the doors are open. There's no pressure to join now before the price goes up. The price is set. It's $48. What do you think the chances are I'm going to change that? That's our signature number. It's there. And that's what it's going to be. So the doors are open when the timing is right for you. Well, enough on that high horse. Let me move on here. Philip says, I've been a technology guy for most of my career. 
and I've always found computers to be easy. That being the case, I feel that I'm so close to the subject that I'm not able to objectively figure out how aspiring or new business people struggle with technology. You get asked, Dan, a lot of questions from aspiring or new business people. I'm very interested in developing an online course or courses that could serve people struggling with technology in some way. What do you hear from these people is their biggest challenge with technology? Well, he asked that in our open, our, our office hours, and people jumped in right away. Cody said, great input. I'm 21. I navigate technology pretty well. However, my biggest challenge is information overload. Now, in response to Philip's question, you know, it's easy to assume everyone knows what you know. That's true for all of us. But what comes easy for you is likely difficult for most other people. Don't assume that just because you understand something well that everybody else does as well. That may have a real value for you to be able to help people make that simple, break it down so they can assimilate and use that information. So that is part of it. Don't overload people. If it is a course, a seminar, a book, whatever, don't overload them. Make it simple. Give The way I learn technology personally is... It's like eating an elephant, I guess, one one bite at a time. You know, I, the, the whole thing would be overwhelming, but just a little bit. So I learn over a period of time, even if it's new, uh, if it's new software. Golly, if I, if I move to, if I get Scrivener, which I, I am just, you know, I'm writing books all the time, but I use Scrivener. Well, that's a particular program for writing documents. So sure, there was a learning curve as opposed to just writing in Word or pages. But after I went through the learning curve to really learn how to use it, oh my gosh, I mean, the functionality is so far surpassing pages or Word because of how I can move chapters around, move content around, make notes for my editor, see notes for my editor, all those kind of... So there was a learning curve, but the learning curve is worth it because I had a period of months where I could experiment, get, and the learning continues in that case, really. So make it, make it easy for people where they get little bits of information at a given time. You know, it's one of the things I see with beginning authors. They want to write everything they know in that first book. Well, don't do that. Take one concept, develop it, and what people's appetite for what your next book is going to be. You know, 48 Days to the Work You Love is that foundational piece, how to understand yourself, how God has gifted you, what you're likely to be a candidate for, what kind of work that would look like. But then right at the end of the book, I end with, you know, maybe you aren't really happy about this whole getting a job thing. Maybe you've been thinking about it's time to do something on your own. Well, guess what? My next book was No More Dreaded Mondays, which is much more entrepreneurial, where I take the ideas and then how do you turn an idea into real profit? So we go there. Well, then people are saying, well, I don't know what I really care about. Well, my next book was Wisdom Meets Passion. So I developed the books that coattail on the one preceding that. So people are always anticipating what's coming next. Sarah says, as a business owner to be and in wanting to create my own website, I found it difficult to understand how to do the NLS details. I like details, but having to learn not only how to do something, but when I need to be asking about it, it's been a challenge. Well, I wrote back, Sarah, or Sarah, I'll tell you now, I have no idea how to create a website. Never have. I've been in business using websites for years and years and years. I have no idea. I mean, really, I, I would not have a clue. 
Now, I have grandchildren who can do it, but I don't. It's so easy to get someone else to do that part. If it's a struggle for you, then it's really probably not in your zone of genius. I mean, stick to the things that only you can do and then find others to do the other pieces. I'm going to address what some of you are already asking in your mind. Well, gee, I don't have any money. How can I hire somebody? I'm going to address that in a little bit with another upcoming question here. So stick with me on that. But to have a resource, and then she asked, do you have a resource for determining my zone of genius? Yes, I do. That resource is The Big Leap. Wonderful book by Gay Hendricks, The Big Leap. That was a big deal for me. You know, I recognized all the things that I was doing that were clearly not in my zone of genius. So my goal now is to get in 2020 to get to where I'm spending 75% of my time in my zone of genius. Now, for me, that is writing. It's that ability to read, to think, to process the wisdom of the ages, and then write content that challenges and inspires readers to discover and initiate their own greatness. I mean, that's, that's my zone of genius. That's what I want to do. Now, to get there, I'll give you just a quick snippet, but the real, the real breakdown is in that book, The Big Leap. But you look at what you're doing and then categorize them into areas of incompetence, things you know somebody else could do a lot better. You muddle through, but you shouldn't be. Things where you have competence, yeah, you're pretty good at that. But there are probably other people that could do it as well. This is where people will get stuck. That's in your zone of excellence. Yeah, you do it really well. But is it that unique zone of genius that only you can do? Few people move on to that. That zone of genius is what will separate you from the pack. And it's certainly something I want to stay clear on and encourage you to to do the same. So this comes then as kind of a follow-up to that, where David says, how do you do that? How do you farm things out you know, when there aren't enough finances to enable you to hire somebody else to do you know, what's not in your zone of genius? Now, I happen to know David's business is power washing. So, David, with your work, the profits in your business are in the selling of the work, not the doing of the work. Could you focus on selling and pay someone $15 an hour to actually do the job. Now, I'm pretty sure the math would be in in favor of you focusing on selling the jobs, not necessarily doing the manual labor. Now, I know you say the finances aren't there, but once you've made that switch, I'll bet you'd be able to accelerate your profitability even while paying someone to do the work. So let's just, let's break into that just as an example. This applies to lots of you listening. Let's say that you sell a job for $600. And in this, we'll use David's business as an example, power washing. So you're going to clean somebody's driveway and sidewalks. Let's say you sell a job for $600 and it'll take uh, four hours to complete it. Now you can't just say that you're making $125 an hour doing that work because it may have taken you two hours of knocking on doors to get that job. And at some point you had to buy your equipment, get it ready, clean it up afterwards then you go home and get cleaned up yourself to be ready to go out and sell again. What if instead of doing the work yourself, you paid some bright, hardworking young guy $20 an hour for those four hours? So that's 80 bucks that he made and leaves you 520. But during the time he was power washing, you were out and you sold two more jobs at $600 each. 
Now, it doesn't take long to see how your profits compound if you focus on the most important part, and that is selling. Now, again, I I understand, David, that there's some gratification in doing the work yourself, seeing it well done, knowing you can do it really well. I mean, I too love physical work, uh, painting, landscaping, cleaning my cars, etc. But I also recognize I can never leverage those for extraordinary income. All I'm doing is giving myself a job. I created a job and I'm paying myself to do the work. A business implies being able to make money when you're not there. You have the potential to do that in your business. And a lot of you are stuck in that quandary where you're doing things that are not in your zone of genius and you put a ceiling on your business very quickly because of you doing everything rather than bringing other people on board who do some of those things better than you do. And again, when I talk about this, I mean, I'm not talking about all of a sudden now you've got eight people on your payroll that you got to write checks on Friday. You can pay people for projects. You know, if you get three jobs this week and none next week, you don't have to pay them anything next week, pay them for the jobs as they do them. I mean, that kind of relationship is very, very common. All right, this is interesting. Cody says, I've spent a lot of time consuming Gary Vaynerchuk's content. Amazing guy, but he pushes the idea of being on every platform heavily. That may work for some people, but I don't know if that is for me. Well, let me tell you. Gary V is a madman. I mean, he he says to work on Sundays and holidays to out hustle everyone else on the planet. I mean, he does videos where he says, "Hey, it's Friday night. Everybody else has gone home to their families. Not me. I'm going to work for four more hours." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, you idiot. You know your family doesn't recognize you." I mean, I I want to have a life. Work is not the only measure of success in my life. So be careful about those those gurus who are telling you you got to work a hundred hours a week. And, and there are those people out there. Now, certainly there are people like Tim Ferriss who say, you know, four hour work week, that's the other end of the spectrum. But there are still a whole lot of popular gurus out there. that are saying, Hey, work 80 hours a week and you'll get results that nobody else gets. Well, you get results that nobody else wants to get in their personal, spiritual family lives as well. Ah, I'll take that little rant to take a deep breath here. And just remind you, these are real-life questions. People just like you and me, I'm in the mix as well. I mix my own questions in here and figure them out and get advice from you, the listeners, as well. But I appreciate this opportunity. Open my magic mailbox and dig into these questions. you got a question or a success story, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, that email box, that magic email box is askdan at 48days.com. All right, Amanda says, Dan, do you have any recommendations for day job ideas for people who are entrepreneurial and don't like being stuck at a desk? I'm steadily building my own small business on the side, but I'm in a day job that is not a good fit and I'm eager to leave. I have to stay practical and keep a day job while I grow my business for now, but I'm struggling to find something that is not a corporate desk job. Are there any ideas I should be looking at or should I just stick it out at my current job until I make the leap to full time? Well, the answer, Amanda, to your question is really straightforward, very clear. I I would focus on building your business. If you can see yourself generating full-time income in six months, then I would certainly stay where you are. I mean, changing jobs is going to slow you down big time. 
I mean, you, you have to realize there's going to be a learning curve. And really, when you take a new position, if it is a desk job, I mean, there's kind of an implied two to three year commitment. I mean, they aren't going to be real happy if you stay there for six months and then bail. You know, so if you can, and plus that learning curve, it's just going to really slow you down on making progress in your own business. So if you can see yourself in generating full-time income in six months and absolutely stay where you are, doesn't have to be your dream job. Stay where you are. It's a reasonable vehicle to help you make that transition. Now that brings up the other side of the, the coin. If you can't see yourself generating full-time business, full-time income in your business in six months, then I'd take a fresh look at the business you're trying to build. Does it really have realistic potential? So that's, it's real clear cut. If you can see yourself making full-time income in six months, stay where you are. If you can't, then do you have a business that's just a sideline hobby? You're going to continue investing 10 to 15 hours a week in that, you know, generate a little side money and that's it. If, or does it really have the potential to be a full-time income generator? Kevin says, Dan, I've worked in corporate American finance over the last 30 years. Ever since high school, I've always dreamed about being a real estate investor. I created a real estate investment company 10 years ago. I put together six real estate transactions over that time. A few years ago, I tried to do it full time, but got worried about not having a steady paycheck and went back to finance. So overall, I've dabbled in real estate investing, but I've not been able to make a living at it. Um, what would you recommend? Well, when you talk about you went back to a real job, so you'd have the steady paycheck or security. Wow, it's counterintuitive to think about it like that. A normal job is never going to really provide you security. It may give you the illusion of that because you get a paycheck and have for the last 50 Fridays in a row but there's really no security there. That company can turn you loose tomorrow. And in that scenario, you have one customer and that customer can make that new decision today. Real estate is an amazing vehicle to change your life. I mean, real estate has a potential to give you that big shovel financially to go far beyond what a job could ever do. But it depends how you are approaching investing in real estate that's going to determine how you, how, what answer you need for right now. If you're buying apartment buildings or houses and then renting them, yes, it's going to take some time for the cash flow to replace regular income. If you're flipping houses, you could probably make it work immediately. Or here's another thing. If you understand the real estate market and you just act as a broker, so you go out and you find deals really great deals. And you take that deal to an investor or a group of investors and they decide, yeah, we're going to do this knowing that you've added $10,000 to the deal because you brought them the deal. I mean, it's very, very common, very accepted practice for everybody involved. I mean, if you did that, you could make yourself immediate income. So it depends on how you're investing in real estate, how you're using your knowledge there. But I certainly believe that what you know, if you really understand real estate investing, there are so many ways you could apply that, that it would surpass any ability to create income in a regular job that you could ever imagine. 
Tequila says, uh, my question is, I feel like because I am truly meant to be an entrepreneur, it's hard to get a good job. Maybe it's the energy I give off. Do you find that to be true? Oh my gosh. I, I love that. I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. Maybe it's the energy that I give off. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean for, for me, Gayla, I mean, I would totally scare off any possible employer. I mean, it would be impossible for me to hide my true desires. Now, because of that, I've never tried to make a job work. I know that it'd be just too transparent for my own, my feelings about that. I just couldn't pull it off. I, I joke often, you know, with Joanne, I'm walking around and we see these, you know, people out of work and sitting on the sidewalks and everything. And, you know, I said, I ought to just, you know, put on a baseball hat and just, uh, you know, go around town and just see if I can get a job. I mean, I, I, I'm a hundred percent confident that I could. I mean, I think I could get three offers in the same day, but I, I've often toyed with the idea of just kind of going undercover like that and just going out even at my age and just applying for jobs because I think that's an easy thing to do, but I know it doesn't fit me. I know that I would be miserable and I would soon make my employer miserable as well. Now, one of the parts of your question here is that you're waiting until you get enough money to, you know, start your own business. Now, I don't know what kind of business you want to start, but I want to remind you that in those recent stats that I give, and I've got them updated in the new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love, 69% of all new businesses require less than $10,000 in startup money. 26% require no money at all. Now, at those times when I had no money, the toughest times of my life, I never saw getting a job as a reasonable option for me. Because it was those times when I was really struggling where I realized starting my own business was the easiest way to make money quickly, as opposed to the little trickle that I would get in a job. I know there's a lot of ways to look at this. You got to be true to yourself. But for me, I mean, times when I was deepest in the hole, that pushed me even more to starting my own business rather than the temptation to get a job. I mean, the most, and when, when I talk about starting a business, and I'm talking about things that could be done very easily. I mean, things like uh, there were times when I painted houses, did landscaping, handyman jobs, detailing cars. I mean, none of those require any capital at all. You can just go out and let people know that you do that. So it's a service business. So you offer some kind of a service, you can do that instantly. But if I, see somebody's house that needs to be painted. And I tell them for $1,800, I'll paint your house. And they say, gee, that's great. That's the best bid I've got. And I know that it's going to cost me $400 for materials. And I do that. And it takes me three days to complete the job. I mean, that's pretty decent money. I mean, those are just the kind of opportunities that I see everywhere. And that I've always been drawn to, even if I felt like my back was to the wall. When I was at my deepest, deepest hole that I ever dug when I was about $430,000 in debt, I mean, I would have been marketable in a position. I already had my master's degree, didn't have my doctorate, but had my master's degree at that point. I would have been employable. I could have gotten a job 
you know, any university, you know, $70,000 a year or whatever, but I couldn't make the math work. How am I ever going to take care of a family with three small children and have a life and repay that debt at that kind of income? So I knew my only shot was to do something again, totally on my own where there was no guarantee, but also no ceiling. That's always been my approach, no matter what my situation, in good times and bad, it's what kind of an idea can I take next, put legs on it, so that I can do what most people never dream of doing. All right. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. I'm running, I feel like I'm running on, um, (laughs) running on fumes at this point. The questions, I love going through these questions. Again, if you got questions, please shoot those into me at askdan at 48days.com. Love to go through those. Love to open that magic mailbox, see your testimonials, your success stories in there, but also the, the questions that come in. So here's kind of a recap for today. And we again go back to our quotation coming from Epictetus. How long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? Well, now's the time. Demand the best for yourself. Expect it. Make it happen. Well, recap of some of our points today. Start reading today. Choose five books and go deep in 2020. Again, in the notes, we'll have a list of some of the books that I mentioned today that you can easily reference and get for yourself. Number two, don't try to do everything in a business. Find your zone of genius and use the skills of other people to fill the gaps. Next one, don't listen to those gurus who tell you you have to be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Messenger, WeChat, Tumblr, TikTok, Reddit, LinkedIn, (laughs) Viber, Snapchat, Medium. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, it's nuts to think that you can do all of those things. I'm very, very streamlined in what I do. I like to write, so that translates into blogs. I love doing this podcast. I love engaging with people in our online communities. That's pretty much it. I'm not out there doing those other things. I, I, well, I won't, I won't negate any of those, but there are certainly some primary ones in there that I really don't care for at all. But you don't have to do that. I mean, choose one or two things you're going to do to market what it is you do well, and then be consistent in doing that. If you are an entrepreneur, stop trying to talk yourself into having a job for security. That's not where security comes from. And if you really are an entrepreneur, it's not going to work. It's like a square peg in a round hole. Stop trying to talk yourself into having a job if you really are an entrepreneur. Well, and again, a reminder about our resource for today. That's 10 tips to help you stay motivated to live out your dream. It's got, um, my team has done some really beautiful graphics in there. It's a free download, instant download. Just go to 48dayseagles.com slash motivation to find that to help you on today. Well, it's been a pleasure as always. I hope you are just marveling in the beauty of the season time with family and friends, this rich, wonderful, enjoyable time of the year as we anticipate rolling into not only a new year, but a new decade. How exciting is that? 2020, I hope your vision is going to be perfect as you roll into that 
new year. And as always, I really appreciate you being part of this community where we can have these conversations. Feel free to interact with me or our team in any way that you want. Ask Dan at 48days.com is an easy way, but thanks for being part of this growing community where we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.